The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. As we've been uh, following through the narrative of Genesis, a few weeks ago we entered into Genesis 24 and we looked as Abraham's servant went in search of a wife, the wife that God had chosen for Isaac. We drew parallels with God sending us as servants in search of the bride of Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. God is gathering his bride and he sends us to be part of that journey. We considered how God was the one who planned the search, how he led the search and he ensured the success of the search for a bride. We considered the nature of church as a family, even seeing the servant welcomed like a long-lost brother by the brother and the family of Abraham. We acknowledge the encouragement that comes and the faith building that comes, the confidence that comes when we realise that God is work at work in our midst. And then we noted that even when things are in turmoil and it's kind of hard to see God at work, that he is still there and he is at work. And this message series is not a, an academic journey. It is a life journey and a testimony to God's goodness and his faithfulness and to his calling on us. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Then last Sunday, I wasn't here, but I had the privilege of sitting back at home and listening to the whole thing online. Just for those of you who are interested, we have the mic that Andy wanders around with, we have the one that the preacher wears, and there's two little microphones up there. So that when you're sharing, even if you don't have a microphone, if you're praying, most of that gets picked up so we can go back and listen and hear what God has been saying. I find it most encouraging. And Zandi spoke of the death of Abraham and the legacy he left. Following, the death of Abraham, following his death, Abraham was laid to rest by his two eldest sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And Andy spoke of three different words that uh, carry this in, in Hebrew that have this understanding of legacy, different dynamics, and the one he settled on at the end was yarash, to inherit or to possess. And then he explored the word for blessings in Hebrew, and it carried these ideas of prosperity and fruitfulness and protection and health and well-being and success and favour and joy and contentment and spiritual growth and harmony and peace and generosity. So much that God wants to do in us and through us. And he then explored these in the context of Isaac's life. However, before this narrative continues to unfold in Isaac's life, his story, we pause to reflect briefly on the legacy of Abraham's eldest son, his firstborn son, Ishmael. 
This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave, Hagar the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedah, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Dumath, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jur, Nafish, and Kadima. It used to scare me when I was pastoring over in Melbourne, particularly when you got to pronouncing Greek words, because the most dominant uh, ethnic grouping in my congregation there were all Greeks. And I thought, I was never going to nail it. But I've learned I don't care what the pronounced Greek... Now, some people really hung up on the right pronunciation. And there's times when that's important. But sometimes we lose what God is trying to say. And so we have these wonderful lists of names. These were the sons of Ishmael, and they are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt as you go towards Asher. And they lived in hostility towards all of the tribes related to them. Ishmael's life had been marked by tension and heartache, rejection and sorrow. His story starts when Sarah's, uh, Sarah's proposal that because she was unable to have children and God had promised Abraham a son that Abraham should sleep with her Egyptian maidservant Hagar. And when Hagar fell pregnant, Sarah is filled with jealousy and drives Hagar away. And Hagar runs into the wilderness, cast aside and alone, and there God reaches out and comes to her. Hagar, slave of Sarai, God says, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress, mistress and submit to her. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. God searches for and comes to Hagar. Hagar has been used and cast aside. And God comes to her in an incredible act of love and mercy and grace. Hagar notes this as she names the place. We're told that she gave the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She says, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. What a powerful name for God. What a powerful declaration of her encounter with God. And in the midst of this picture of love and compassion of God, God makes a promise that you'll give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. And then God continues and says, You'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Immediately for me, I found this parallel to this morning's reading. Yes, God will bless Ishmael. He will have 12 sons. 
However, God has said that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. Now we are told that not only did Ishmael live in hostility to all his brothers, to everyone, that hostility continued down through the generations. They lived, that is his descendants, lived in hostility towards all of the tribes related to them. It'd be easy to blame God for this hostility. After all, didn't God say that Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man? But this word about Ishmael comes in the midst of a very gracious and loving and caring encounter. And so I can't possibly believe that this is some sort of um, declaration, some sort of curse almost, some sort of, this is what he will be. Not some sort of idea that Ishmael and his descendants are cast into this villain role for all time and eternity because by the puppet master of the universe, because God is not a puppet master. Neither is our future determined by our past. God doesn't declare he must be. God declares he will be. See, according to God's own statement, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in Isaiah 46, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. God foresaw how Ishmael would respond to his life circumstances. And God also knew, God also foresaw what that would lead to. God knew what would be, but that doesn't mean God determined that it must be. We cannot always control our circumstances, however we always control how we respond to them. We have this wonderful freedom called choice. As we follow through the story of Isaac and his descendants, this is, this is the lineage of promise, God's chosen people. This family line through whom God will fulfill his promises to Abraham. Remember the promise, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. However, this lineage does not, is not fulfilled in uh, open obedience to God. There are so many in this lineage who will act in disobedience to God, who will move far from God. Likewise, Ishmael's descendants are not cast into the role of intergenerational evil. Each generation, then and now, has a choice to make. If you've received a good legacy, a good inheritance, praise God for that blessing. But don't take it for granted. As we shall see in the stories of Isaac and his descendants, each one must work out their own relationship, their own faith God, their own walk with God. And if you come from a tough background, where like Ishmael you feel that you've been dealt a terrible hand, even before you were born, 
Maybe for generations you just feel that you're set up for failure. I want to say this morning, God doesn't do that. Jesus said it's a thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus comes to give life in all its fullness. And in Second Peter we're told that the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want some to come to repentance. God wants everyone to come to repentance. It's not God's will that any should perish. And yet we also know if we read our scriptures, if we read the Bible, that throughout Matthew there are five different stories where Jesus speaks of a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Luke's Gospel, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but yourselves thrown out. This is spoken to the religious leaders. It doesn't matter what your heritage is, you can still be cast aside. That was a problem for so much of Israel as we follow the story through. But God would not condemn Ishmael or anyone else to a life of hardship and struggle. It's a thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. And God will never condemn anyone to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But sadly, that's the future that awaits so many. My concern with that passage is so often we have used that as Christians to try to threaten people into the kingdom of God. I don't think that verse is intended and those stories are intended to scare people into church. I think it's intended to scare us out there into the world. To motivate us. Why are we praying for our family so desperately? Because we understand that this is not about a social club. We understand that this is life and death and eternity. The message of the gospel is clear. And thanks to Michael, we've already started on this. He didn't know I had this verse in my message. I didn't know he was going to mention it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We stop there, but it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. If God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, he doesn't send us here for that purpose either. But to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You know, my experience in my life, I haven't had to tell people that they are far from God. They come because they know that there is something more. They know that they are far from God, and so many of them are living with the consequences of living far from God. In Romans chapter 10, 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That word preach is not intended to communicate what I'm doing right now. To preach is simply to declare with clarity and with authority the truth of the kingdom of God. It's not an activity for a selected few with special training. In fact, if we want to be honest right now, my training in terms of pastoral ministry, I would say, was atrocious. I was trained in the Salvation Army. So many things we were done well, but I don't know that we were trained well for preaching the word. And in fact, I've heard some other preachers who are incredible, but I actually don't think that they help us discover what God wants to say to us through the word. I sat there, and I've mentioned this before, I sat there one Sunday as I listened to one of the best preachers I know here in New Zealand. And after he had expounded across the whole arch of scripture, the whole of the biblical narrative, a lovely gentleman just sitting behind me who had been elders and an elder in many churches and he'd been on the journey for many, many years, he just quietly leant forward and he says, well, I'm never going to read my Bible again. And I thought, why do you say that? Well, I knew it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. He said, because I could never have seen any of that in the scriptures. You see, one of the problems in the Roman Catholic Church for so long was the scriptures were contained in Latin so that only the priests could read it and understand, only the educated and the, the people in the pews just had to believe what they were told. Well, we've done the same thing with our level and standard of preaching. Unless you know the Greek and the Hebrew and unless you understand then you can't really read the Bible for yourself and so we go, why would I bother? But God wants us to have his word. You see, when God sent his son, Jesus, later on he got Paul, who was pretty intelligent, but even Paul had to learn that it wasn't about his intelligence. He called together twelve Fishermen and tax collectors, uneducated, unschooled, ordinary men. And when Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. His entire training course was less than three years. The training course was this moment was not three years in a theological seminary. It was giving, giving them power and authority. And then in the next chapter we're told, after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two to every town and place where he was about to go. So where are you at with God today? If you know him, then he wants to send you out to those who do not yet know him. And in fact, the next 20 or 30 minutes, 
I've got another hour because of the clock hasn't been adjusted yet. But <laughs> in the next 20 or 30 minutes, you're going to be going out into the mission field. You're going to be going out to the people who need to hear what it is you know. The problem is so many of us are so poorly equipped to go and to share. We have no idea what to say, how to say it, and often more importantly we have no idea or little idea of when to say it. And over the next few months, Lord willing, we're going to look to change that, if you want to. You know, I've spent over 30 years in ministry collecting resources on how to do evangelism and discipleship. Some of them are really, really good. But there's nothing on that table. See, some of the stuff on that table has seen some significant churches grow. You could look at the stuff from Willow Creek, church of 20 or 30,000 people. Or you go to, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the church now, church in Singapore, the largest church in Singapore with cell churches. Or you go to Yongi Cho's church, which inspired them, full Yido gospel church in Seoul, Korea, and they had like 800,000 people in their congregation and they had umpteen services on a Sunday and you were rostered to attend the gathering about every six weeks. It was pretty impressive. Connecting church. But so few of those have had any significant, in fact, if any of those, other than maybe the cell church, has had any significant impact on the decline of the church in the West. And so I come back in Acts 2. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. I come back to two things. The word of God. That's the thing that will change us. All of those things try to tell us what God said to someone else. And they put it in a package that's convenient. But this book is, as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's confusing and messy, but powerful and life-changing. And there is a very simple process and there's n I was with a group of people last weekend who are passionate about seeing God make, creating a movement. We believe God is creating a movement of disciple-making here in New Zealand. And I've been believing for that for eight and a half years, and God has been stirring it in my life. It's not a magic bullet, it's just a very simple way of coming to the Scriptures reading what it says, doing what it says, and then telling others what God is doing in your life. It's changed my life. It's changed the way I engage with scripture and it's brought transformation in my life. I sat up in that room up there with a young man and after about 
three months, we saw him set free from anger. I sat with a young couple in a home in Ranui, who they were about to separate with four young children. And I met with them each week, and as we went through the process, they've rebuilt their marriage. I think they've got five children, six children. They've rebuilt their marriage. Because God's word is powerful. So even simply from that process, but when God begins to multiply that, I was encouraged. I've got a copy of a book, and I can give it to anyone who wants it, called Contagious Disciple Making. It's a story of this disciple-making movement and how they, this particular group that we are connected to uh, began in India and worked through Central Africa and what have you. So I gave a copy of the book to a couple, Keith and Joy, who about four years ago they spoke at the chapel uh, earlier this year. When Keith finished reading it, he gave it to a guy, Mark, who's a New Zealander, who is now a missionary in Laos, has been, in, he was in Thailand for five years now, he's been in Laos for six years, and he's doing disciple-making movements in Laos, inspired through this book that I gave him. Last weekend I was asked, I got to meet him for the first time because I was asked to pick him up and take him through to Waihee Beach for this retreat, or for this uh, tribe time. And uh, it was great getting to know him. And As we were talking, I said, um, so how long are you home for? Well, I'm home for four months, touching base with the churches that support me, etc. So where are you next Sunday? I'm at Cornerstone Church in Waiuku. Now, for some of you know, David and Minika are in Waiuku, and they're praying, and they've got another couple of young women on board. They're looking to see, they're believing for God to do something in Waiuku. And I'm going, wow. And so on the first Sunday of February next year, Mark is coming to this church to share what God is doing among the Thai and the Lao, and well, particularly among the Lao and Laos, where he is working. And um, I'm just encouraged what God is doing around the world. We heard so many powerful stories. And everyone goes, it's so much easier over there. I sat there and actually I realised it's not easier over there. I heard from stories of missionaries where they've been working for 15 or 20 years before they see the breakthrough. And those that see it sooner, it's because others have done the groundwork for many, many, many years beforehand. I'm only here. I am only here because I believe God called me here for this time. I'm looking forward to exploring that further. So we're going to be running some introductory courses. But if you have not made the decision to place your life in God's hands this morning's the time. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon the choice is simple. Will you accept or reject Christ? Will you follow him or continue in your own way? I think it was Bill last Sunday who said that we're called to repent. Repent doesn't just mean saying I'm sorry for what I've done. It means taking a whole new direction. Stopping going the direction that I want to go and start saying, God, would you now direct my life? You may have come to church your whole life 
In fact, I think this is, I don't think it's a problem in this church. I don't think it's too bad. But in so many churches, it really concerns me because I think there's a whole bunch of churches that are filled with people who say that they are Christians, but they're not Jesus followers. They're still doing their own thing and going their own way. And I don't want to be that sort of church. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, Very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You and I, like Isaac and Ishmael, we did not choose the legacy, the inheritance that we received, whether good or bad, and we cannot change it, we cannot change the past. However, we can choose the legacy we will live by. We can choose to live in the legacy of the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn of the flesh, or we can choose to live as descendants of Isaac, as sons and daughters of the promise of God. We can choose to live by faith in Jesus Christ and to choose to live as children of promise. In Galatians, Paul says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born of the result of a divine promise. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. The question becomes, firstly, how will we choose to live? But here's my biggest burden as I read and prepare that message. Most of us are going, we're in. We are following Jesus. And my biggest concern is that most of the people who need to hear that message, that there is a different way to live, will never darken the doors of a church. And the only way they will hear the good news that has changed our lives is if we take it to them. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.